0: Good morning again. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Um, glad you guys are here. You're the ones who didn't go to the beach, okay? So thank you for being here um, for uh, this weekend. So we're finishing up our series um, called Trailblazers this week. Next week we are starting a new series called Viral, um, and I highly recommend you be there for that for a couple of reasons. One, um, we're going to be doing a bunch of like viral like trends that have been happening. Like one week you're going to see a video of Frank and I playing the tortilla challenge. Look that up if you don't know what that is. Basically, we slap each other with tortillas. So that's what we're going to do. Um, so there will be videos of that. But we're going to be talking about some of the hot topics that are being talked about a lot in our culture. There's going to be um, some very um, intense conversations we're going to have. There's going to be humbling conversations we're going to have. So I, I highly recommend you keep an eye out for uh, what we talk about in our next series. But we're finishing up our series this week called Trailblazers. And uh, this entire series, we've been talking about um, women in the Bible, women leaders in the Bible, and what we can learn from them. We've talked about Rahab a couple weeks ago. Last week, we talked about Ruth. And today, we are ending our our series with talking about Esther. We'll be talking from the book of Esther today. Um, And Esther is one of the most important women in the Old Testament because of what she was able to accomplish, what she was able to do. Um, Her bravery um, and her courage is the reason why the entire generation, the entire nation of Israel um, escaped genocide. So, um, What she did was amazing. So, we're going to be talking about the entire story. If you don't know the story, we're going to cover the whole thing, but I highly recommend this week you read the book of Esther, especially if you're in any of our discipleship groups. We're going to be talking, this is the first week we're really starting that, so we're going to be talking about the book of Esther. So, I'm going to go through it as quickly as I can, um, this story. So, uh, there's going to be things I missed, so make sure you read it this week. But what I find really interesting about the book of Esther is that God is never mentioned, not a single time. He's not even referred to, God is nowhere in the book. Of Esther. Um, No one talks about him. No one refers to him. There's there's no mention of him. But when you read the book of Esther and you look for God showing up and and God's activity in the book, you can see it everywhere. You can see it from how the entire book mirrors itself to ironic reversals that happen to coincidences that that occur all throughout the book. The book starts with King Xerxes. King Xerxes is throwing a party. And this isn't just like a party. This is a rager because this party this party lasts for 187 days. I don't know how, how wild you used to be. No way you had a party that lasts 187 days. So he's going, they're going nuts. And the goal of this party is for Xerxes to show his greatness, to show how awesome he is. And on the last day, one of the last days of this half of a year party, um, the Bible says that he is high spirits with wine, from wine. That's what it says. He's in high spirits from wine. It means he's drunk. That's what it means. He's wine weird is what is happening right now. So. He, he he's there, and he's, he's drunk, and he, uh, the king says, hey, where's the queen? Get Queen Vashti, have her come here to show, because he wants to show her off. And, and here's kind of where we're going to pick up. Esther chapter 1, verse 12 says this, but when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. So this is a big no-no, especially back then. Xerxes is furious, he's, he's drunk. And he basically decides, you know what? I'm going to fire the queen. Queen is gone. She's she's no longer queen, and, and she's she's gone. She's not queen anymore. So then he's like, hey, I got to fill the role of queen. So he does a basically a reality show. Think of like the Bachelor. Okay, it's the Bachelor to figure out who the new queen is. Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys knew this, but um, um, I don't ever watch the Bachelor. But one of the guys that was second place in the Bachelor, um, I know him, named Justin. You guys know Justin for the Bachelor people? Yeah, I know. I got his number if anyone wants it. So you just let me know. Okay. Anyways. That's not do anything, but I just wanted to let you know I know him, nice guy. The guy who makes weird faces, you know. Anyways, okay. Does that make me important that I know the second place person? And okay, just wanted. To. Everyone calm down, okay. So anyways, second place, yeah. Um, so um, so he basically does does a reality show, a bachelor type style thing to get a new queen. And this is where we meet Esther, which is the, what the book's um, named after is Esther. Esther, we meet Esther and her adopted father named Mordecai. They are both Jews, but Esther hides her nationality um, so that she can win, become queen, so that she can win the bachelor, right? She hides it because if she's, if they, it's known that she's an Israelite or she's a Jew, then she wouldn't be able to become queen, so she hides it. And Esther wins the competition, and she becomes queen. At the same time that all this is happening, Mordecai, who again, Mordecai is is the adopted father of Esther, Mordecai overhears two people talking about an assassination attempt that they are going to try to do to take over the king, to take over Xerxes. So Mordecai saves the day. And Here's what it says in Esther 2, verse 22. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. So everything at this point is going well for Esther, going well. Well, for Mordecai, that is until the villain shows up. The villain is a, a guy named Haman. Haman's the, whenever you hear that name, just think, that's the bad guy. That's 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 the villain of the story. Haman, he butters up the king um, so that he can eventually work for the king and, and be elevated, and eventually he is elevated. He's elevated to a high position in the kingdom, and with his new power that he has, he he demands that everyone in the kingdom kneel when they see him. He demands that Everyone, when, I, when I'm around, you kneel to show me respect that I think I deserve. And everyone does except for Mordecai. Mordecai, he's, he's Jewish, he's, he's an Israelite. He refuses to kneel. So, and this infuriates Haman. And in his anger, Haman finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, is, is an Israelite, so he makes a plan. From his anger that he has because he feels like he's being disrespected, here's what Haman does, Esther chapter 3, verse 8 through 9. Then Haman said to the king Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the province our, of our kingdom who keeps themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's law. It is not the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. So King Xerxes agrees to this plan. They make a decree, and the plan is genocide. It is to kill an entire nation, of people. God's chosen people, the Israelites. In order to determine when they were going to commit this genocide, they do something they call, they cast lots. And if you look in uh, Esther chapter 3, they call this pur. That's what they, they use. It's called per. And remember that word. We're going to come back to that. Um, the, they plan a day to, and the decree is finalized. It is, it is written out. And once a decree by a king is done, once it's finalized, there's no going back. It's set in motion it cannot be changed. That is written in stone. It is going to happen. At this point, there's no hope for the Jewish people. It's in a decree The genocide is going to happen. There's no hope. But they have Mordecai and they have Esther. Mordecai gets word that this is happening, and he gets word to Esther to let her know what is happening. And being the queen that Esther is, he basically says, hey, you're the queen. You have to do something about what is happening. She, she has to go talk to the king. But the problem with this plan is, Esther is the queen. So even though she's the queen and you think that has some high regard, you can't just go to the king. Like, if you just go to the king, you'll be killed for that. You can't go unless you're summoned to the king. So there's a risk here for Esther to just go to the king and try to change this plan. Mordecai reminds Esther, hey, remember, they don't know this, but you are Jewish. And if they find out this happens, you're not going to be saved either. So you need to do something about this. Esther, even though there's a risk here, respond in bravery. Here's what she says in chapter 4, verse 16. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. I'm going to act in obedience. I'm going to be brave. If I die, I die. So Esther has a banquet, has King Xerxes there and Haman. There's a lot of wine meant there. They get drunk again because there's a lot of that happening in this story. And She butters up the king with food, but she doesn't bring anything up yet banquet ends, and King Xerxes, it says, goes to bed, and he gets a bedtime story read to him. It's in the Bible, okay? The bedtime story's read, wise, he's a king, he do what he wants, and he has them read the book of Chronicles. So it's kind of talking about some of the history that they've lived through. And and while he's he's hearing this, as he's trying to go to sleep, he's reminded of Mordecai. Beginning of the story, Mordecai saw his assassination attempt happen, he stops it from happening, and he was reminded, oh, Mordecai saved my life. And he thinks, did, did anyone ever recognize Mordecai for this and remembers no one did no one celebrated Mordecai so the next morning when Xerxes gets up he decides okay we're going to celebrate Mordecai because he saved my life and he deserved recognition so the way he celebrates Mordecai is he has Haman walk Mordecai around on a horse to celebrate so think of the bad guy who hates Mordecai walking Mordecai around on a horse they, they all celebrate Mordecai then Esther has another banquet And this time she reveals what Haman is doing and his plan. And here's what it says, Esther Esther chapter 7, verse 3 through 4. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Esther here is revealing who she is, even though this is a risk. I, I am also an Israelite, I am also a Jew, and this has happened, please save my people. Xerxes hears this, and he's furious. He's also drunk, again, I think the whole book he's drunk, okay? just every time you see him, he's drunk, okay? But he's furious, and he's angry, and he's so angry that he takes Haman and he executes him. Haman's done, killed on a, on a, on a stake. Problem is, this decree is set. It can't be changed. You can't just reverse it. Even though he's the king, you can't just reverse it. So they have to figure out something to do. So they have to figure out something to do. So Esther and Mordecai, they issue a counter decree. The counter decree says that the Israelites and the Jews on this day can fight back. So yeah, there are going to be people that are coming to annihilate them, but now they are allowed to fight back. They're allowed to protect themselves. They're allowed to defend themselves. And they write a new decree. And this decree works. The Israelites defend themselves. They save themselves. They save themselves. Because of Queen Esther, who showed up to the king and had, and risked being killed just for approaching the king, um, and Mordecai's bravery, all the Jews are saved. The way this story ends, and the the book of Esther ends, it ends with a brand new decree. It's a two-day feast called Purim, which commemorates the Jews' deliverance from destruction. This name comes directly from Haman's lot system that we talked about early in the story. It's there to remind them the people that they were saved from destruction, and the last verse of the of the book of Esther, we show Mordecai and his rise of greatness. Just like how the story started with Xerxes' rise of greatness, it ends with Mordecai's, and that's the story. That's the entire book. That's the ten chapters. I summed it up. There's some things I missed, but for sake of time, that's the entire story. God is never mentioned. We never see the word God or Yahweh or anything like that. He's never mentioned a single time. But when you look for God throughout the book, you can see him. From a spot opening up for a new queen, from Esther being picked out of all the, the women that are trying to be queen, even though the king did not know she was Jewish, um, from Esther Mordecai's bravery and risk of telling the king, to the Jewish people not being destroyed and being able to celebrate their victory. God is present throughout this entire book. But here's what I really find fascinating with the book of Esther. The book of Esther is full of a lot of um, moral ambiguity. As in, when you read the book of Esther, you're going to le- read a lot about drinking, a lot of sex in it, a lot of anger, and a lot of murder. This isn't just done by Xerxes and Haman. Esther and Mordecai are not the best characters either. In fact, Esther and Mordecai, um, they don't follow the Jewish law at all. It was against the Jewish law for Esther to marry a Gentile. That was against the Jewish law. It, it talks about them eating impure foods. That was against the Jewish law. They were not good moral characters either. But even though there are no good moral characters in here what's interesting is even though you don't find them a good moral example to follow that they are examples of trust and hope even when they aren't perfect here's why all this is important because when you read the book of Esther and you see the, the stories of the characters what we learn is God is never absent even when he's not there Even when you don't read about him in in the story, he's never absent. Even when you have characters who are not moral examples, he's never absent. Even when God seems silent, he isn't absent. Even when God isn't mentioned, he isn't absent. Even when we don't act the way God calls us to act, God is not absent. He is always working. Even when we don't always sense it, even when we don't always know it, he is always speaking, even when we don't hear it, he is always loving even when we don't deserve it. God is never absent. So when we read this book of Esther, how can we relate to this story? It's like a story almost from like a Disney movie almost, like the the villain and, and, and rise and fall. Like how do we relate to this story? Well, I think we can relate to all the characters we see because I think all of us can fall into the trap of any of the five characters. Some are good that we should follow and some aren't. So here's each character and and kind of what we see throughout them. And we can fall into any of these. Here's number one. First we see Xerxes. He's the pushover. The pushover. Xerxes is so distracted by his own pleasure that he allows anyone around him to influence him. First Haman shows up and he influences him to commit mass genocide on an entire nation. And then Esther shows up and and she influences him to do something good. But either way, he's the king. No one should tell him what to do. The queen doesn't tell the king what to do. And one of his officials doesn't tell him what to do. Yet, Xerxes is so distracted with what he wants, with throwing his parties, with his pleasure, that he allows other people to influence him. Some for good, some for bad. It is so important for us to not allow anything to push you off the truth of God. To not allow anything to push you off the word of God. To not allow anything to push you away from God's call in your life. But I see over and over again a lot of people getting pushed away from the will of God simply because they're distracted. They're distracted by the circumstances that are currently happening in their life. Distracted by the desires that we think will actually satisfy us that actually don't. Distracted by what the world pushes on us. Distracted by our own pride and selfishness. Just this week, um, uh, last week, I was talking to... um, to somebody who was going through kind of a hard time. And we were talking about how easy it is, and maybe this is just me, I don't know. But when things are hard in life, when I'm having bad seasons in, in my personal life, you know what is easy for me to stop doing? Praying and reading my Bible and all it's like I get distracted from it. Like when all these bad things are happening, I tend to find myself just like, I don't have time for that. I just don't have the energy. I just don't have the passion to do it. Which is what's fascinating though is shouldn't that be the time I do it the most, the time when I desperately need to cling to a God who loves me, to, to desperately be with a God who, who cares for me, who has a plan for me, that when when things are going well, yeah, that's easy to love God then, but when things are hard, shouldn't that be the time that I really do it? But yet, you probably are like me, like, when things are going hard, that's when it's harder to come to church, that's when it's harder to pray, It's when it's harder to read the Bible. See, it's why we need to constantly be in the Word. That's why we need to constantly be around strong community. It's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be pushed over. That's number one. First, we saw Xerxes the pushover. Then we see Vashti, the absent. She's the queen. And although we know this is a system that was built against women during this time period, here's one thing that we know when the king calls, you, the queen, show up. That's law. You have to. You need to show up. It wasn't fair, it wasn't a fair system. But that's what she was supposed to do. The queen is supposed to show up when the king calls. She doesn't show up. She does not come. And because of that, she's replaced. That's what happens. I wonder how many of us miss a calling God had for us simply because we don't show up. Now, I want to make something perfectly clear. No no matter what we do or no matter where we go, God always has a plan for us. He's always finding a way to get us back to Him. There's always a plan and purpose, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter where you've gone in life, no matter how many no's you've said, there's always a plan for you. But, we can't stop God's plan by our disobedience. He gives us the opportunity to be part of what He is doing. It is our choice to be a part of what He is doing, but we aren't going to stop something if God decides it's going to happen. I mean, in Luke 19, the Pharisees demand that the people stop praising Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, if they stop, the the rocks are going to start praising me. Like, I'm going to be praised right now. You're not going to be able to stop that. Who do we think we are? That if we think we can say no to God, that God's plan is like, well, can't do it now. He said no. She said no. My plan hinged on them saying yes. No, God's saying no. I'm inviting to you to be part of this, and I want you to be part of it. But if you say no, I'll get someone else. If it's my plan, if it's God's plan, it's going to happen. It's, it God invites us to participate in his plan. I, I think of um, me, my calling to go into ministry. For years, I, I felt like I possibly had a call to ministry, and I kept saying no. I kept ignoring it. I kept thinking, I don't know. I, I just don't think that's, that's what I want to do. And mainly, I stopped. I ignored it because I have a younger brother who's two younger than me who was already doing it, and I didn't want to copy my younger brother. That's really what it was. Um, I was like, I'm going to just go be an accountant, which why I thought that was I had a chance for that. But I'm going to be an accountant, or I'm going to be a business manager, major or something like that. And then um, a friend of mine eventually, out of the blue, said, hey, I think you should be a pastor, but I think you're not doing it because your brother's already doing it. And it was really the first time I was like, maybe this is the next step, and eventually I said yes. But I was thinking about it this week. God was going to continue to call, continue to call, but if I don't say yes at some point, then I don't know if I'm going to be a pastor. We could talk about whether, what, free will and, and how that stuff works, but but I have to eventually act in obedience. That's what love is, saying act in obedience and, and say yes, but if God wanted a church here, it wasn't hinged on me. Like, if, if I said no, then God would have brought another pastor to come and, and make a church here. If, if if some of us said no, then another church would come. See, God is going to do what He is going to do. He, he invites you to participate in what He is doing, but we have to show up. Don't miss what God is calling you to do simply because you're absent. You say, okay, well, how, how do I do that? And here's how. You show up. You show up in your relationship with God. You show up here. You show up in your prayer life. You show up in your groups. You show up in your study. You show up in your learning. You just show up. And a lot of people say, well, I don't always feel like showing up. Well, that's when you really show up. Because anyone can show up when they feel like it. But, I mean, I've used this analogy before, but it's great to be motivated to go to the gym. But, no, it's better being disciplined to go to the gym. It's great to be motivated to come here. Yeah, anyone can come here when you're motivated, but it's better when you're just disciplined. Discipline is always great, better than motivation. So we see Vashi the absent. First, third person we see is Haman. Haman's the narcissist. Haman had a lot wrong with him. I can give you a list of all the things he did wrong. But you know what it really all came down to? Pride. It was his pride. It was all about Haman's glory and all about Haman's fame. What started Haman on this path that led him to his execution is the fact that he was mad that one guy wouldn't kneel in front of him. So he says, because you are disrespecting me and my pride is so affected, I'm going to kill everyone. I'm going to take it out on everyone. That's a narcissist if I've ever heard one. He's going to sacrifice an entire nation just to satisfy his own ego. I have seen people sacrifice a lot to satisfy their ego. I have seen people sacrifice their family because they refuse to be wrong and apologize. I've seen people sacrifice their occupation because they refuse to let anyone else shine over them. I've seen people sacrifice their well-being because they are more consumed with how they are perceived than who they actually are. I've seen it happen. We can sacrifice a lot to satisfy our own ego. When I first started as a church planner, I read a stat that really scared me. And the stat was that 80%, I don't even know where the stat, it's one of those internet stats that like, I now think is true. I've never done any research to know if it's actually true. But... Um, 80% of church planners are narcissists. That's the stat I, I read. I don't know if that's true, but I read that and went 80%. <laughs> that's a very high percentage. So then I started to worry. I was like, am I a narcissist? And I'm like starting to. I'm looking up the traits of a narcissist, and I'm like trying to figure out, am I a narcissist? I, I didn't know idea. So um, I met I met with uh, one of my mentor friends, and I said, Hey, I'm worried. I'm a narcissist. Like, I, I was like, I think I think I am. I looked up. You know, when you look up like a sickness, like I had stomach ache, and you're like, Oh no, I got cancer. Like that's what happened. Am I a narcissist? And he's like, well, do you think about yourself a lot? I'm like, I do think about myself a lot. He's like, then you're a narcissist. So I, I went to him. It's like, I think I'm a narcissist. I'm worried maybe I shouldn't play in church because I'm a narcissist. And he was like, um, well, first off, just so you know, you're not a narcissist. And I was like, well, how do I know? He's like, because you're worried about it. <laughs> narcissists aren't worried about being narcissists. They just are a narcissist. Like, I was like, okay, good. But here's what I've learned. I may not be a narcissist, but I still need to fight pride in my life constantly. I am constantly thinking about myself and my own needs first. And my guess is, so do you. You need to constantly fight it. What are some ways we fight pride in, in our life? Here's what's worked for me. Serve in secret. When you serve, do it in secret. We have a lot of people at this church that serve in secret, that serve in the darkness back there where, this, where everything, all this, the sound system is. We have people that serve upstairs that not everyone sees. Serve in secret. Um, or even at your house. Serve your spouse in secret. Serve your parents in secret. Like, do something for them that they never know you did it. Serve in secret. Um, or give without attention. Give sacrificially of, of your money of, to either church or to charities or to people that are in need generously. Or just give of your time without anyone knowing. Don't give any attention to it. Or love with, without an agenda. Just love people because you need to love them. Don't love them hoping you're going to get something back out of it. Don't love them thinking, okay, I'm going to hold this back my 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 head so that way um, when something else comes up that I want, I'm going to use this. No, no, love without an agenda. If you don't work against pride, if you don't work against it, pride will overtake you and can destroy everything, just like it did for Haman. And then we see some of the good examples. We see Mordecai. Mordecai is the guardian. Mordecai is a mentor and a guardian to Esther. Remember, Esther is not not his biological daughter. She was adopted. Adoption is one of the best descriptions that we have with our relationship with God. That he adopts us into our families. When we were enemies of God, because our sin makes us enemies of God, that he gave his son so that we can be adopted into his family. But it doesn't stop there with Mordecai. Mordecai continually invested into Esther. Mordecai pushed Esther to do more and to be more. Mordecai encouraged Esther. And challenge Esther to do the hard things. How is Mordecai able to do this? Well, here's some of the ways. He had relational equity with Esther. Relational equity. He invested in Esther to the point where Esther knew that he cares for me. I mean he had, he didn't have to, but he adopted her into his family. So when 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 Mordecai talks to Esther, she knows, hey, I he loves me, he cares for me, even though he's asked me to do something hard. She knows that. How is Mordecai able to do this? Through wisdom. Mordecai taught out of his experience. Also, they to do it through concern. Here's, here's what I would, I would recommend. Don't give people advice unless they know you have concern for them. Okay? If they don't feel loved by you, don't give them advice. You need to show them that you love them first, that you, that you have concern for them first, and then you can talk to them like Mordecai talks to Esther. And then Mordecai was able to do this through courage. That he showed courage that inspired Esther to also have courage. The question I have for you is, what Esther do you have in your life? Who is the Esther in your life? Who is the person that you are speaking to, you are loving on, you are encouraging, and you are challenging? If you have kids, your kids should be Esthers. should be people that you are loving, that you are encouraging, that you are lifting up, that you are helping grow. That should be some of your Esther's. That shouldn't be the only Esthers you have. We should all have people that that we are trying to speak into, we are trying to encourage, we are trying to lift up. So what's amazing about Mordecai to me is that Mordecai is really the one who made the plan. He said, "Esther, this is what you need to do. You need to talk to the king," and he helps develop the, the plan. And, and at the end, yeah, Mordecai celebrated, but the Israelites—you know who they celebrate—from saving them, not Mordecai. You celebrate Esther. Esther's the queen who got it all done. Mordecai really did a lot in order to get it done, but he's not recognized for everything that he's done. Um, I was a—I uh, was—I played baseball in high school. My championship, uh, my last year, my senior year, our team went to the championship. We had to play a doubleheader that day. Uh, we had to play friends as the team we're playing. And um, we already lost to them, so it was double elimination. We had to win both. They only had to win one. Anyways, um, the first game we win. Second game we go into extra innings. And when we're there, I'm a senior. My brother's also on the team, but he's a sophomore, so he's riding the bench. He's playing. But every time I go to bat, they announce who's up to bat. And every time I went to bat, they would go, now batting, Shane Ballenstein. And every time I'm like, "It's Eric!" I'm like yelling up there, "It's Eric!" Anyways, um, we go, we play the game. Every time, here's a, off the bat, Shane Malsen. I'm like, "That's Eric." Um, so, the last inning, extra innings, I get on base. Um, I eventually end up being the the guy who scores the game winning run. Everyone jumps on me. It was like the highlight of my of my baseball career. It was awesome. Then the paper comes out to tell everybody about the game. And who do you think is written in the paper? Shane Valenstein, the game-winning run. Shane probably has that frame somewhere at his house. <laughs> I didn't get the credit I deserved for being for what I did for that team. But look, that's what Mordecai is. He doesn't get the credit. He's the guardian. He's the mentor. He, he brings Esther up, and he doesn't even get the credit. A guardian lifts someone up to the point when, when they succeed, that you succeed. And it doesn't matter who gets the credit or not because they are succeeding. I think of um, the Impact Kids Team upstairs. Here's why I think about them. The Kids Team is, is one of the harder areas to serve, not only because you miss service down here, um, but um, some of our kids are crazy up there, mine <laughs> included, okay? Um, some of them are crazy. So, but here's what I've learned with the Kids Team. A lot of times the kids will learn about God in, in some kind of real way, and then when they become students is when, like, that, that seed that was planted really grows, So, normally the the student pastor or whoever's leading the student group, that's where they really see it grow into into fruition. Where the kids team does all this work to get them set, and then the student pastor gets to reap the reward of it. So a lot of times. That's what happens. I was a student pastor for a long time. So, we should be the guardian. That doesn't matter who gets the credit for it. We are lifting other people up. Number four. And then, the last character we saw, the main character, Esther. Esther was the brave. Esther risked everything, everything to save her people. She went to the king when she wasn't allowed to. She let it be known that she was Jewish, which could have had her killed right then and there. That was a death sentence, letting the king know that. She showed bravery. How was Esther able to show so much bravery? Well, here's how. First, she didn't let her position steal her compassion. She's the queen. There's a a good chance that as the queen, they never find out she's Jewish, and she's fine because she's the queen. You don't have to worry about it. But she never lets her position steal her compassion. We should never let our worldly status steal our compassion. If we do, we are misunderstanding the gospel. How else was she able to show bravery? She was self-aware but not self-consumed. Self-aware but not self-consumed. We should be aware of the impact that we have. If you are high up in your company, be aware of that. Be aware of the fact that you are important, that you, what you do has influence. Be aware of it, but it doesn't mean we're self-consumed. Just because you know the impact you have in your company or your family doesn't make you self-consumed. We should be aware we're not self-consumed. I think about that all the time as my role as a pastor. You should never go to a church where the pastor feels like they're too far, uh, too high up that they won't set up the chairs or take the trash out or do any of that kind of stuff. I'm aware that when I'm here, like people know me, people see me, so I need to, I need to be aware of how I interact with people because you all are looking. I get it. But I should not be self-consumed, where it makes it all about me. You shouldn't go to church that way. You shouldn't go to church like that. She was self-aware, but not self-consumed, and Esther was willing to take risk. She was willing to take risk in order to obey God, and it wasn't easy. In fact, when Mordecai when Mordecai tells Esther about Haman's plan, she she's hesitant at first, and then Mordecai says something to her that it's it's my favorite. My favorite verse in the Bible, it's the last verse i going to read. Esther chapter 4, 12 through 14, says this. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And here's the verse I love a lot. And who knows? that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther, who knows? Maybe God put you in this position for this exact time, for such a time as this. How much control do you have of you being born? None. How much control do you have of where you live? You have a good amount of control now, but there's still other things that are outside of your your factory. You don't you don't necessarily control where you work or if your house offer gets, gets if the house that you're trying to get, you get gets accepted or you don't control necessarily like who lives around you. You might control where you move but you don't control the neighbors who are there. How much control do you have that you were born at this exact time in this exact culture in this time period at the age you are? None. You have no control over it. But yet, here you are. What if we thought about it as, you know what, maybe I'm born such a time as this. As a pastor, I hear this all the time from some of you, and sometimes it's, I, I feel this way too. But I hear this all the time. I hear people say, you know what? I'm really, really worried about the time period I'm growing up in. I'm really worried about my kids. I'm worried about the culture my kids are going to grow up in. I hear it all the time. And I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you. And by the way, this is not a political statement. I hear it from every side of the political aisle. I hear it from everyone, but I just, I'm worried. Of I don't know if with them going to school with, with where I am, I, I'm just worried about this time period. I was talking to um, one of my old mentors years ago about this exact thing, like being worried about the time period we're growing up in, and the, the culture that we're in, and those kind of things, and, and how I've had a lot of people say that to me. And He was like, yeah, I, I'm, I was a pastor for a long time. At this point, he's retired. He said, when I was your age 20, 30 years ago, Um, I heard the same thing. Everyone came up to me and said, I'm really worried about the time people are growing up in. What if you reminded yourself what Mordecai reminds Esther, that you are here for such a time as this. Let me go a step further. Your kids are here for such a time as this. What if we stop looking at everything that we disagree with as just our enemy trying to destroy us and to destroy our values and whatever we look at it as, which might, might be true. Well, we stopped looking at it that way, but instead we, we looked at it as an opportunity for us to stand strong in our faith, to show compassion to a world who needs it, and to love those around us so that we can make a difference in this world. See, I'm not worried about my kids. I'm not worried about me. You know why? We were born for such a time as this, I was born for such a time as this. My kids were born for such a time as this. You were born for such a time as this. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's not going to take courage and strength. It doesn't mean that the enemy's not going to attack. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. But what if we looked at this time period as saying, you know what? God has a plan. And I'm here in this area at this time for a reason. My kids were born at this time for a reason. We were born such a time as this. We could have been around any time. We're here now. We have a choice to obey, to live out the purpose we have now. Stop complaining about all the ways that we wished it was and start being the example of the gospel that the world desperately needs to see. You're born for such a time as this. You can be Xerxes during this time, be a pushover and just go with whatever the tide says, Whatever is whatever's around you that influences you, you can be that. During this time, you can be Vashti. You can just sit it out. You can be absent, just, you know, I'm going to keep to myself. I'm going to not worry about anything else. Let's do that. You can be Haman. You make it all about you, about what you want it to be and, and about your glory. Or you can be a Mordecai. And you can help prepare those around you with wisdom and love through example. Or you can be Esther. And you can step in obedience and bravery no matter what the risk is, no matter how hard it's going to be. You were made for such a time as this. Act in obedience, in trust, in wisdom, and in bravery. As we close today and we close this series, um, I want to close today by taking communion together. This is a chance for us to reflect on the sacrifice of, that we see through Jesus Christ. That we can reflect on on the God who loves us has a plan for us. So as the worship team comes on up, we're going to get ready to take communion together as we uh, as we finish out this series. And just some housekeeping stuff for you to know. Here at Impact Church, uh, we, we have an open table. That means you don't have to be an owner of this church. It doesn't have to, have to be your church home to take communion. You're invited to take communion. We just ask that you be a follower of Jesus. And if you are not and you want to be a follower of Jesus, you can do that through taking communion. This is a step you can take to, to repent and to give your life to Christ. So what we're going to do, um, the worship team, they're going to start playing the closing song as, as we get our elements. And what I ask you to do is to come back and take a seat. And as you sit and the worship team's playing, I want you just to spend time in God's, ple- in God's presence, just reflecting what we heard today on the five characters that we saw. I want you to reflect, is, is one of these me? Am I an Esther? Am I a Mordecai? Or am I actually a, a Haman? actually a Xerxes, i actually a a Vashti, Um, take some time to reflect on the time period that we are in and what God's calling to do, and then we will take communion together. So we'll start at the front, we'll go towards the middle, we can take communion.